Hello, I'm Bruce Burke. Welcome to the Bullet Point Bulletin's weekly wrap-up for the week of March 12th, 2023. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Ted Huff of Fintech Confidential. Now I'm going to send it over to Ted so he can please share with everyone the news stories we'll be discussing today, Ted. So today we're going to be just covering a handful of things. This week has just been bonkers with some of the news, but we're going to start off with a couple really happy stuff. Uh, so we're going to be talking about how there are rumors that Amazon is going to launch an NFT marketplace project in the next month or so with about 15 collections. Uh, the other thing we're going to cover is Coinbase's new wallet that makes Web3 integrations easier than ever. And we can't go this week's episode without talking about the SVB tsunami that has hit this week. So uh, I, I, there's a, so much to talk about with the SVB thing, but let's dive first into the Amazon NFTs. Yes, yes, it's uh, it, it's. It was bound to happen. I mean, eBay starting to do them. Uh, it seems like even though the journalists and the media have all pronounced NFTs as a thing of the past and something that nobody cares about anymore and a flash in the pan, that NFTs continue to grow. And it's not just about a bored ape anymore. It's about a lot of different things. Um uh, According to the article I read, uh, they're going to be issuing uh, digital tokens along with, like, say, if you bought a pair of jeans, very similar to uh, uh, the company we talked about a few years, a few few weeks ago that uh, was issuing the uh, uh, clothing with the digital tokens. Oh, yeah. The one that Jay-Z is supporting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. 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 So I think it's also interesting, uh, you know, what's. This is going to supposedly be launched to U.S. customers first and then gradually get rolled out to everybody else. Um, starting with 15 NFT collections is actually a bit underwhelming <laughs> uh, for such a company like Amazon. And, you know, you're going to be able to buy these just with your pay with Amazon. So they they've really reduced the overhead or the confusion that comes when you're you're doing the, the web three on ramp. Um, and what I read also is that this was supposed to go last year, but FTX, you know, that whole thing, we'll talk more about that later, but FTX collapse caused them to delay it a little bit. But, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about and talking about, and I read another article about this as well, is when I start thinking about how blockchain could be used from an Amazon perspective, somebody else came up with this idea as well. So obviously I'm not the only one thinking about it, but if you're using blockchain to track, to manage the delivery of products, verification that you actually got the product, verification that the product is actually the product you received, there's so much stuff that you can do with these NFTs and the smart contracts that go along with it. And if you're leveraging the delivery truck as another part of the smart contract and the address that you're getting it delivered to as another part of the smart contract, 
I can really see how how they're going to leverage these NFTs as a way to reduce the the consumer fraud of I didn't get my package or I didn't do this or hey the product I received isn't the product that was shipped. I'm really starting to see that how this will tie into the supply chain and really reduce their losses around these types of goods. Now, I know that's not what they're talking about here. This is more of the artistic side of the house, but I can see us moving over to that, especially, you know, they're they're going to be leveraging Chainlink uh, for the node creation. So I just, I see so much more going into this beyond the games, beyond the, the, the collectibles, beyond all that fun stuff. Well, there seems to be uh, a common thread happening of, like you said, trying to get rid of those hurdles and obstacles for the average consumer to engage in the NFT market, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Starbucks launched a new uh, uh, NFT this week. And, you know, because I'm part oh, of the Odyssey program, right? They uh, sent me a thing like two days ahead of time, like, hey, you know, let, let us tell you how to get ready for when we drop these NFTs, right? Go ahead and, you know, put your credit card here, right? And set up your credit card and set your alarm for this time. And I didn't. And guess what? They sold out of what? 2000 NFTs in like 20 minutes at $100 a pop using ordinary credit card purchases. Yeah. Uh, they're just doing and, it on and this also leads right into the you know the coinbase thing of let's make it easier for people to get on board right let's let's remove the obstacles let's remove the uh hurdles and let's uh let's make it so grandma can join right and grandma can get it right well i mean with with coinbase and their new api really what they're they're calling it wallet as a service so wallet as a service is what they're calling it and this is kind of what we've been talking about, the interoperability. It still drives me nuts that it is centralized on Coinbase, but it is it is offering a first step into interoperability across multiple different projects, across multiple different solutions. So I'm I'm not not a huge fan of it being centralized, but I think it's headed in the right direction. Well, uh, the interesting thing to me, one, their uh, VP of engineering, his name is Danger Will Robinson, Danger Will Robinson, <laughs> and he's posing with the uh, the robot from Lost in Space. Uh, but um, he's his comment is the same as my comment has been like all along, you know. This thing is all set up backwards. When you want to go and engage with a brand, a Web3 brand, let's call it that, right? And you want to get into, you know, the, the their project or their, you know, release or whatever's going mm -hmm. on. You get there and they say, oh, insert your wallet. Well, you don't have a wallet yet. Well, now you got to go get the wallet, right? And then so, so then yeah. you leave their spot, right? And you go and set up your MetaMask or whatever other wallet that you're going to set up. And now you got this whole thing and that kind of, you know, that set up and everything. Now you got to do your seed phrases. You got to do this. You got to do that. And then you got to find some way to store that thing and, you know, uh, kind of set it aside and, and set it somewhere where you're going to be, uh, you know, uh, comfortable having it there. And then you have to go back and then you have to insert your wallet before mm -hmm. you even know what you're doing really. Right. And I think 
like he said, that that flow is backwards. And essentially, uh, like shopping carts in the days of yore, people are abandoning it. Right. They get there. They want to buy an ape. They want to, uh, you know, participate in the project. They want to you know, do something. And it seems like too much. And they just like, uh, you know, forget it. Right. And they abandon the yeah. cart before they even, you know, put an ape in it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I just I worry that we're just making a, a Web 2.1 um with these wallet as a service because it again is centralized whereas a metamask is a decentralized wallet infrastructure um and that is that is huge uh and that's really what the whole purpose of having these types of wallets are and that's just one of the concerns that i have but companies like floor and moonray and third web and token proof are saying hey this might be a quick way to help our customers and and they're probably doing it as this is like a stopgap until we can figure out how to manage something fully decentralized so it, it's a simplified onboarding right it, it, it's simplifying the you know getting the customer in yeah. right and that's number one right i mean that's a, that's number one thing that every company should want let's let's make it as simple as possible for somebody to do business with us right mm-hmm. but at the same time how do you maintain that uh, decentralized integrity, if if that's a term, right? I just made up a new term, Fred. Uh, Ted, it's uh, it, it's decentralized integrity, right? Um, but uh, and, and your cred amongst your other Web three aficionados that you know your project is sitting right alongside of, right? Um, yeah. So it's it, it's an interesting kind of a. Uh, positioning also right i mean a lot of this is positioning and a lot of people i think are saying well web 3 is gonna be like this but there's not really a whole lot of web 3 yet you know what i mean uh so you know, yeah so I, it's, I guess i i look at it so, so do, do you understand so so what is your perspective on what this coinbase Wallet as a service. What what do you what is your perspective of the problem that it's solving? It's essentially uh, helping uh, the people that are writing to it and including that wallet API in their code a way to quickly get customers into their ecosystem. Um, but if they don't want to use a Coinbase wallet and they want to use another wallet, it's uh, counterproductive. Or if they have another wallet, right, it, it's counterproductive. So uh, I don't know if all the companies that are writing to the Coinbase API are only going to use the Coinbase wallet as a service mm-hmm. or if they're going to allow the use of other wallets. Uh, that's uh, something that the article really didn't reveal, uh, I read quite a few different articles about it, and none of them really talked a whole lot about how the companies are using it other than just simply writing to the API to get customers on board, right, and and, and make it simple for those customers to do business with them. So when, you, when you're having to go from let, – let's say you're, signing, you're, you're, you're talking about the Starbucks experience, right? So you're in the Starbucks experience, and it says – you need to set up a wallet, right? Okay. So why is it having you go set up another uh, a wallet? 
And and I, I guess I kind of look at it and, you know, if you look at Starbucks says you need to go set up a wallet, then you go to MetaMask and they have you set up your wallet. Then you have to go back to Starbucks and then you have to tell Starbucks you're using MetaMask. Then you have to validate and verify that MetaMask has access to the Starbucks. Then like you see all these back and forth. What I see this as what their attempt to do here is the biggest issue that that blockchain will be able to solve, and that's identity verification. Because because if I knew it was Bruce and in Bruce's block, we knew that Bruce had interfaces with all of these networks because of that block, and we could validate Bruce in that block. and we knew his ad based on that I can then just give my address to where I wanted to go. And and that's kind of how I'm looking at this is that the reason why this is so important right now is because we don't have a unified identity val- verification process. We don't know it's Bruce doing, Bruce doing this and, and no. it doesn't even have to be Bruce. It just is like, we don't know that it's block one, two, three, four. And I know it's not that way, but Block one, two, three, four <laughs> has been validated. So we can actually tie this, this object to this, this validated block. And you can't do that. And that's the interoperability that I keep talking about. And this is a shortcut to getting to that because what Coinbase is doing with their wallet as a service is they're validating the individual's identity or the identity of the receiver or the delivery person. And, and so now you're just, you're in identity verification and validation areas. So I, I'm, I'm thinking this is, that's why I'm calling it like a web 2.1, 2.2, 2.5, whatever you want to call it, because this is that stopgap until we figure out how to have an interoperable verification of identity. And once we have that, then you can start to, to manage things. In, in, Everything I've read about Web3, right, um, all the white papers, all the, you know, the, the big think pieces that I've read about it, you know, the idea is the wallet that you're bringing to a Web3 property is not just a wallet for money. It's no. a wallet also for, you know, identification. It's mm-hmm. bringing your creations with you, not just your collection, right, but if you created something, right, also, right, but it's also supposed to bring your friends, your, uh, your, you know, everything, right? You're essentially bringing your wallet and you're plugging it into wherever you're visiting, right? And your stuff isn't already there by putting in a user ID and password. You're bringing all your stuff with you to that network and you're plugging it in with the wallet and nobody has that yet. The closest one I see uh, that actually has that and it seems to be working towards that is Polygon with what we uh, talked about last week with their zero knowledge proof mm-hmm. uh, uh, wallet, right? Yeah. Um, and it's scalable apparently, but nobody still, everybody's got the, you know, there's, there's you know, we talked about at least a dozen wallets in, in the past oh, couple yeah. of months, right? Uh, they allow you to bring your NFTs. They allow you to, you know, uh, hook up your accounts to them. Uh, you have some kind of identity. You can put up your PFP, right, of, of your favorite NFT, right? Uh, and that's about where it stops and where it starts, right? There's not oh, much yeah. to it, right? And well, so 
it's and the uh, PFP is just just a, a visual representation for people to quickly and easily verify and validate the identification. I mean, th- there are so many different ways to do it, <clears throat> and what I what I want to to have everybody think about is this wallet right here is the most decentralized wallet that you can have, right? <laughs> yes. Like, it's not connected to anything. It's like, it's not, there's no, I, like, I don't have to get permission. I don't have to verify with anybody to pull a driver's license, a credit card, money out of here. I don't have to do that, right? I I, I can do it without asking for permission. Um, and, and I think until we get to the point of, of having a truly decentralized wallet where I don't depend on anybody else other than myself, um, yeah. it, it's going to be really hard to have that interoperability. And that's why I think as much as everybody laughs at me when I say this, I think having hardware wallets is going to be the key to success in identification, verification, to be able to, like you talk about, to take the stuff with you. Yeah. Because these are bits and bytes of data that we can and, and take bring and it move. with you. That it, it, you know, right. uh, uh, and and the network is aware of all the different things that you're bringing to it, and it has a place that essentially, when you get there, you you know insert your your thing right, and it all kind of opens up like a peacock, is you know what I'm seeing right, and and then but you know the like everything's time, there right. But at the same if, time, if when you're you go, allowing when you go to others them. to see it, right. Right. And when you go to certain areas, they're only able to see the things that they're able to see. So just because my wallet has five credit cards and seven bills in it, if I go to Bruce's network and all Bruce can see are the American Express cards and my driver's license, guess what? Bruce only sees my driver's license and my American Express cards because that is one of two things I've said he could see them or two, that's all he's able to see. And I validated that he can see those. Now yeah. I could go, I could go to another network or another system and they can see everything. They've built out the capability to see everything, but I don't want them to see everything. So when I yeah. connect the wallet, then I go, okay, you can see this and you can see this and you can see this. And so that's that's how and that kind of is that that helicopter float thing that I've talked about, right? Yeah. Is it like when when I land in there, they know it's that I can I can tell them they they can identify that it who I am, not by name, but by by block. Um and then I can say, "Okay, here are all the things that I'm here for." And here's what I'm willing to authenticate with. But I I just I I really I keep going back to the hardware. I think hardware wallets are going to be the key to success in this area. And the more we try and turn it into software, it's, it's going to be, it, it comes back to centralization. You just, you yeah, I, I think a lot of the people are, uh, you know, we, we've talked about in the past that, you know, uh, banks just replicated the paper experience yeah. digitally, right? Uh, skeuomorphics almost, right? You know, yeah. y- even the checks look like a, you know, a check, right? Still looks uh, like a check, uh, yeah. Ken, Ken, Ken from uh, the pay show out in Las Vegas, right? He had the, uh, the the check writing software, right? And when you went online to fill out the check, it, it looked, like, looked check. like your checks in your checkbook, right? Yeah. Um, 
And people are so used to, you go to a store, right? You don't walk up when you go to the store. You don't walk up to the cashier here and go, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to uh, go do some shopping around in your store and, and whatnot. So here's my wallet. Go ahead and hold on to that. And I'll, I'll catch you after I've gone through the store and picked up some stuff. Right. So people are not right. used to that behavior. And I think for a lot of people, the first time they arrive at a Web3 property and it's like, hi, so and so insert your wallet not even like you know who are you or you know what's your phone number or what you know do you want to set up an account or anything else it's like hi you know give us your wallet right and you don't even know what you're doing so a lot of people are like you know because they've heard all this crazy stuff in the news and everything right and they're like you know well yeah but that that i mean that that comes into the overarching experience right Every time, the first time you get asked for that a few times, and until you go through it, like if you go to a store, right? So if you go to a store and somebody goes, Are you ready to check out? But you don't see a cash desk, right? You, you're kind of, kind of thrown off a bit because you're used to going to a, a cashier's desk. Yeah. And then you go, they say, Okay. And I'm using Apple as an example. Yeah. They okay, got the cool. thing at the end of the table, right? Yeah. They, they, well, they, they reach out of their back pocket. A device, and they go, cool. Let's scan, scan. Or do you have a card? Do you have it on file? Da, da, da. And you're like, oh my god, I just, I just wanted to pay you with cash, right? So it's the same kind of experience. Uh, I, I just, I think that because we over sensationalize all of the bad things that can happen, that it's, it's only made it worse. And people are, yeah. are, are, are scared to make a mistake. And guess what? We're all going to make a mistake. We're all learning at this stage. So we just we just have to be cautious, have to ask why, have to ask what, and just have to ask questions along the way, just as if you were handing somebody cash. Yeah. And so that's really kind of my perspective. I mean, I like the idea of the wallet as a service. I, I can see it. I'm a big fan of MetaMask because it's a decentralized online. It has plugins into all the browsers, which speeds up and makes it really easy. I mean, they, they've done the really good part. Um, I'm just really so. Do you think they're starting to the the gentrification too early? Because that's what it is. It's gentrification when you're when you're uh, putting something out like this. You're making it so you know anybody and everybody, and it, it's mass mainstream mass appeal. That's the the reasoning behind all this, right? Is should we go through the new process? Should people have to go through that new process first, and you know, or is there is there a hybrid of the two? Yeah, I, I think by going down the, the wallet as a service is, like I mentioned, a, a web 2.5. It is the yeah. introduction into it, right? And so you get into it and you're, you're like, okay, well, this is really cool. I'm using the, the Coinbase. Uh, and you may not know it's Coinbase. You may think it's a Moonray or a third web or a token proof wallet, right? Because yeah. it's, it's, it's branded that way. And so, so now you're just used to that experience. And when it comes time to do another wallet, you're not going to be as scared. And so you, you may have multiple wallets. Hell, I've got multiple physical, multiple physical wallets. Right. And so I, I think we're, we're going to see that happen, but this is a nice way to, because Coinbase has a huge user base, right? 
And so second largest the, uh, by trading volume. Right. So you, you take the second largest customer base by trading volume, as you mentioned, and you say, hey, guess what? You don't need to go set up a MetaMask. You don't need to do that. You can just use this this one. And then now I go and I look at, let's just pretend Starbucks is using it. Now I go and Starbucks sends me a thing and says, hey, go ahead and, and get this, this NFT. Guess what I get to do? I go, cool, boom. And you don't even know that you're using the Coinbase wallet. You just know that it's there and it's available. And I yeah. think that's that's the first step. Um, the, the question that came to my mind when Starbucks said, hey, you know, uh, uh, go uh, uh, connect your card, right? They, they didn't even really want me to set up a wallet. They just wanted me to insert my credit card into some special place in, in the, within the NFT Odyssey uh, aspect of their app, right? Which is kind of a... There's kind of a separation between buying a cup of coffee at Starbucks and buying an NFT mm -hmm. from Starbucks. There's there seems to be a line down the middle. Um, and I was like, well, why can't I just fund my existing Starbucks wallet for a hundred bucks with my credit card like I have been doing? And you can take it out of that, right? Like, why you know why aren't we co-mingling coffee and and apes you know like why isn't that happening and i'm sure it's a uh, regulatory thing i'm sure it's a you know it there's got to be some legal reasons behind it they want to keep it separate who knows right uh but um i think probably they didn't want to make it too easy for somebody to mistakenly buy an nft uh, when they're really just trying to order a cup of coffee, right? Uh, that sort of thing, right? Oh, what's this hundred dollars, right? I just wanted a, a latte, grande, you know, or whatever, right? So, yeah. So I, I think I think it goes a little bit deeper. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I think when I look at it and I look at what the financial institutions and what the card brands require when purchasing NFTs and doing all that fun stuff, it is quite different from when you're purchasing a stored value purchase. They're totally yeah. different. Yeah, because um, that's all so, I was doing. I wasn't actually giving them my credit card. I was buying $25 worth of Starbucks credit that's uh, sitting in my wallet waiting to be spent, right? Right. So it's, it's yeah, it is a different type of transaction, and a it, it, uh, stored value is a lot different than an NFT, yeah. right? So. It, it totally makes sense that they have it separated, but uh, the fact that they're making it so simple, I think will help gain adoption for Web3, mm -hmm. but at what cost, right? Uh, will it, uh, or will it just gain adoption for Web2.5? Right. Uh, and and people go, well, I, I I feel safe stopping here and I don't want to go, you know, any deeper into, you know, the the, the metaverse and this. Right. I'm I'm, I'm happy with this. Right. I, I, uh, you know, so. In order to really become Web3, you know, with everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. With Starbucks, with Polygon, with right. Uh, 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 Amazon, uh, eBay. All these different companies that are now offering up NFTs, right? Uh, Reddit, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they Those gave, are they, gave every, they gave away a ton of them, and you didn't even have to have a wallet, right? Uh, that was just a it was a collection, and and you could grab it, and you know, you, uh, it was well, a profile so, identifier. 
So here, here's here's where Starbucks and that are similar, right? So it's a digital collectible that is on a closed loop system. So so it is it is on a private chain, private network for Reddit. And that's why you don't have to set up a wallet. And Starbucks has set up their own private chain using Solana, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, and Polygon. It was Polygon. It wasn't Solana. It was Polygon. Um, in there. And so, so now they're, they're separated, which makes it so they're not interoperable. And so we're yep. back in the same ple- place where if you, do you want simple or do you want it to truly be web three? And that's where we keep getting stuck in that middle where we're trying to pretend to be web three and keep it simple. And it's really web 2.1 or 2.5 or whatever you want to call it. So does there need to be a web three? standards board or a uh you know an association or or organization that sets down okay in order to be certified you know stamped as web3 you need to have this capability this capability this capability and this capability in your platform no no because it's super central simple decentralized like it's supposed to be and be able to be uh, portable. Those are the only two things <laughs> that really, it's super simple. It, yeah. it has to be interoperable. I, I'm, just think, I'm just thinking of the Uber driver that uh, uh, gave me a, a ride the other day. Uh, and I started talking to him about uh, the Amazon thing, right? And, and uh, started talking mm-hmm. to him about Amazon selling NFTs and that sort of thing. And he was an older guy. He was around my age, right? So uh, he liked the part about the Will Robinson and the robot, right? But when I started getting off into companies and and uh, NFTs and tokens and coins and wallets and all this stuff, this guy started saying things to me that he had heard and what he had synthesized in his head from what he heard. And mm-hmm. he was coming at me with, uh, Oh, well, yeah. When Bitcom did this and when, you know, and I was like, what are you talking about? He, he, he grabbed a little bit of information, right? The mm-hmm. pick, cherry picks some information that he was able to retain in his head. And it was gobbledygook. And he had no clue what he was talking about from somebody who, you know, listens to and reads this stuff all day long. And mm-hmm. I fear that that's the general public when it comes to this stuff. And he was probably a little more immersed in it than others. And he's like, yeah, all my friends tried to, you know, get me to get into crypto and, you know, you know all that. Right. And he's like, I didn't ever do any of it. Now I'm laughing at him. And, ah, you know, and all this. And I was like, it's, um, I'm concerned that that's more of what the general public thinks of all this stuff than what we think of this stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the same with stocks. It's the same with bonds. It's the same with CDs. It's the same with, I mean, just list anything that has variability in it. Weather, people are the same way with weather. So, so, I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I look at it as you can be as intelligent or as ignorant as you choose. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and, and so what ends up happening is 
depending on how you believe it impacts you and the perception that you have that it impacts you in your life and and how important it is to you is going to vary greatly between person to person. And the level yeah. of depth that they go into will be based upon their interest and their belief that it's going to make a difference in their life. Like for me, I believe that this is going to make a huge difference in my life, my kid's life. And it only makes sense for me to dive so deep into this, to truly understand it, because I see from my perspective how amazing the world could be if we continue to grow leveraging blockchain, smart contracts, and non like not distributed ledger technology, as well as <clears throat> non-centralized wallets and the digital economy. Like I, I see how big and how wonderful it could make things. Uh, everything from, and, and, and I had me and a, a friend of mine talked about this a couple years ago when I started really getting crazy into the blockchain. Imagine, imagine if every penny that you spent in taxes, you could trace using the blockchain to where <laughs> that penny where went, went right? yeah. and where it was spent and by who and when. Yeah. Whoa. Now, that's yeah. kind of scary because there's going to be different types of people that fall into this. We can go on that a whole different, whole different category. But in my mind, is that you could get to that level. Oh, you yeah. You could literally get to where every, every red last cent, as they say, right? Is, is accounted for. You know where it went. Whether you liked it or not, at least you knew where it went. Yep. You could also do that with you could identify which one of your representatives had done that and where it went and who that was tied to the, and on top of that, all of this is public would be publicly available. It would all be out there. It'd be full transparency, which has never been seen before. And if you could get to that level of transparency, it'd be unreal, unreal. So what I, what I see I, that needs to occur uh, is a lot of education. You know, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, getting people financially literate, uh, you know, which is kind of why the first uh, hashtag pay uh, deep dive is going to be around like, what is Web3, right? Let, let's let's get people there first, right? Like, uh, I don't, I think if you, if I stood on the street TikTok style with my microphone and, and asked 50 passersby, mm -hmm. what is Web3? It would be like watching it on Jimmy Kimmel. I think, uh, you know, I oh, would yeah, get yeah, live totally. witness news, right? I would, they would just be making crap up and they have no clue. I don't think, I, I don't think one in 50 could probably tell me. Yeah, and I mean this this kind of rolls into our last subject of the day is really the SVB collapse and the tsunami that it's creating, right? And and you know, I just was mentioning talking about leveraging blockchain to track taxes, but imagine being able to use blockchain technology to track where the deposits that I put into a bank where they've gone. Where 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 did the money that I put into the bank where the heck is it right now? And 
right yeah. at this at this exact moment where is that money and you know we we that that's some of the things that i think about and like all these investors and all these other guys and girls and people that have have put their faith in that financial institution are now realizing that what happened to ftx can happen Celsius. to a bank too <laughs> Celsius, Voyager, you name it, right? Yeah. Anytime there is panic and people Silvergate. are worried, Silvergate's yep. another one. Yeah, but but anytime there's panic that people think that their money's not safe. And and in the US, we've we've trusted banks for forever. But if you go yep. other places in the world, nobody trusts the bank. Central and South America, uh, most people don't even put their money in the banks. Uh, it, it's, no. you know, Elsewhere, right? And I think maybe moving forward, uh, there's going to be a lot of people that maybe don't do it here in the U.S., right? Uh, one of my friends oh, yeah. commented uh, uh, on the on the cartoon I put up. I, uh, you know, the 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 guy in outer space sweating, right? Uh, banks yeah. are a scam. You know, <laughs> banks are a scam. Put all your money in crypto, and the other choice is crypto's a scam. Put all your money in the banks, right? Right. Uh, you know, the, the meme of the week, right? Uh, he, he's like, suddenly my mattress is looking a lot better, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and. That's a sentiment that's out there now, right? And I think a lot of people are going to start stockpiling cash, right? And and start, you know, uh, I read recently about a house that somebody bought uh, from like uh, it was built in the 1920s or something, and uh, you know, the, or, uh, the 40s and during the recession, and the whole wall was insulated with stacks of cash. Uh, the the guy whoever built the house, you know, was just squirreling away the money in there, and apparently never told anybody. And you know, the the house was insulated with money, you know, uh, absolutely <laughs> insane, right? That that is uh, some extremely expensive insulation. <laughs> that that's a lot more than that pink stuff. I don't I don't care if you're getting the spray stuff, the pink stuff, the the the, the wool bats. I don't care. The Cash money is a lot more expensive. expensive. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> Well, I mean, and so if we look, if we look at uh, Silicon Valley Bank, so I'm just, I'm going to just do like a really quick recap from my perspective, right? Okay. So Silicon Valley Bank, uh, bought a bunch of bonds, uh, at, I believe like 1.75% and 2.5%. And, you know, they saw that happening. They aren't going to get to returns and, and it really, that's no big deal because it'll, it'll eventually pay out and they'll eventually get their cash. But they noticed that their deposits had continually started to shrink. And so in order to protect themselves from potential liquidity crunch, they decided to sell a, about $2 billion worth of, of those things at a loss to sure up their finances. Now, here's, here's, no, here's where I see there being two big issues. Not, dude, I've been on, on, zooms and calls and interviews by a bunch of people about this over the last few days. I think one, this was just bad timing. They, they, they did it the same day that Silver Lake uh, decided that, that they were going to ask the FDIC to help them restructure. Second, they told everybody to stay calm, which always works. <laughs> and which means that Keep there was a carry on <laughs> there, there, there was a failure, a communication failure. Uh, and so what ends up happening 
is that communication failure along with timing freaked out people that had money in the bank. And I mean, there was a, a run on the bank to get deposits out and they're still coming down, coming up with all the numbers around that. But I mean, the FDIC is taking over the bank. Um, they completely shut down the bank on Friday. The FDIC is taking over the bank first thing on Monday morning. You know, over the weekend, what they're doing is they're putting a bridge bank in place. Um, same they did for WAMU back. Uh, gosh, it's been, I can't even remember how long ago it was. Yep, that was a while back, yeah. Um, 2008, actually. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, right after the, the housing uh, collapse. That, that's when that occurred. Yeah, and so... SVB had also been working with financial advisors to try and find somebody to buy them before it failed. And it just, it, they couldn't get it. Um, there, there's quite a it, bit going just, on uh, from some of the stuff I've been reading and some of the stuff I've uh, uh, been watching. Also, there's a lot of commentary out there on it. Um, there's a lot of bad the, commentary too. Yeah. And there's a lot of different perspectives. The FDIC's uh, uh, perspective on it was kind of uh, unique and different uh, to see it from the Federal Reserve's, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, FDIC, Federal Reserve. It's kind of the you know, same thing. Oh, um, those are, no, they're, they're so I know different. they're two different things, but they kind of have the same uh, viewpoint, let's say, right, from the federal government perspective, right? Uh, okay. Because, um, but uh, apparently the, there's a, uh, there's also an investor fund that's a SVB uh, investor fund that's trying to garner enough cash and whatnot to kind of take over Silicon Valley Bank and kind of be the one that steps in and kind of takes it back from the FDIC and kind of moves forward with it. Um, I was watching our, our friend uh, Brett King. Uh, he, he got on BBC as a result of this story and was asked his opinion, you know, like they put on people on Squawk Box and, and mm-hmm. other shows, right? Uh, he got three minutes on uh, uh, BBC. And his uh, perspective on it uh, was something I hadn't heard. Uh, he He mentioned a rumor that Peter Thiel, which is a huge, huge investor, mm-hmm. probably one of the biggest as far as Silicon Valley, was the one that started the rumor that uh, all the VCs should tell the people that they've invested in to go get their money out of Silicon Valley Bank, right? So it started, you know, like, let's say at the top, right? And so it started with a big VC that told other VCs that I'm sure told other VCs, right? That told their, uh, the people they're investing in, right? And man, it, that's, you know, that's going to cause a, a, a stampede, you know, uh, not a run, a stampede on the bank. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I don't know if it was that deep into it. I, I think just the overarching fear, um, because, my friend and also partner in, in, in a consulting business, advisory business. It's not really consulting, but it's mostly advisory and helping banks and fintechs get placement in the different places. As soon as the announcement came out from, from Silicon Valley bank, when, when they talked about opening up for shares to be bought, to, to get some additional liquidity, right. To, them selling off the bonds, them doing all these things. It went nuts with people going, oh, shoot, I need to find a new bank 
to put this in because if they're trying to sure up their finances, I don't want to be at a bank that's trying to sure up their finances. Plain no. and simple. No. And so these guys are uh, are are trying to pull money out, and there are a ton of people who had wires that had just been going like everybody was rushing to go wire money out of one account and into another. Yeah. And a lot of the wires just didn't make it. Yeah. They just I, I read a couple of the- stories about the guys like uh, we sent the wire, they charged us the fee, but you know, it didn't happen. Right. Uh, I read right. that uh, Brex B R E X Brex uh, was somebody that, a lot of people flock to uh, to take their money from Silicon Valley banks, the one that did get it and the ones that had other money that they were probably going to take to Silicon Valley right in the next week or so. Right. And they put it in Brex. Uh, so yeah, that's, it was about that was only about two billion dollars went into Brex. Uh, is that is that all it was? They refused yeah, it, to comment on it uh, in, it, in the it article about, I read. They so, didn't so want to talk about it. Rumor is it's about two billion dollars, but Brex isn't even a bank. So Brex is is a neo bank that leverages other banks, um, and so those deposits went to those other banks. But um, you know, I, I I'm not going to share the name of the banks, but I know a few other banks that that received a a large number of funds, uh, ranging, you know, from a couple billion dollars up to you know tens of billions of dollars, um, and they were traditionally other fintech banks uh we yeah. were talking to a number of them over the over the dates and that one of the things that that janet yellen said that really drives me nuts is and 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 to have somebody in her position say this is what really irritates me if and she, and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna bastardize this quote but basically it was if i had money i would not put it in a regional bank which is really scary to have someone of her stature, of her position, to be able to say something like that and not have any repercussions. Because think of all these regional it banks. It doesn't say much of actually, regional banks, right? It doesn't say much of the federal opinion of regional banks, uh, for one, right? Right. But at the same time, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, I mean, all these guys, who's to say they're any better, right? Who's to say that they're doing things any different? And so, I mean, banking is banking. I mean, what can you do with money once you got it? You invest it to hopefully make more money. And that's pretty mm-hmm. much the beginning and the end of it. Uh, what's really concerning to me, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of different statements that are coming out. And a lot of statements are kind of just being said kind of willy nilly, it seems like, right? The people are, you know, making condemning type of statements. But think about this. Think about you're a VC, right? And you invested in some startup, right? Let's say you just gave the guy uh, one, let's say 5 million, right? Uh, that yep. seems to be a good central number, right? And so now you've got your your bits of stock, you know, that you got by throwing your 5 million in, right? If, if you didn't go in as an angel, right? If you went in as an angel, like, forget it, you got nothing now. But even then, a lot of these startups are not making income yet because that's kind of the thing with a startup now, right? I mean, we just talked last week about Revolut <laughs> finally is, is profitable, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're what, five years in, right? And, and, and pushing millions and billions of dollars through their bank or their card or their platform or whatever you want to call it. And, 
you know, just this year were profitable. And just because of some, I'm not going to say manipulation of their books, because that's, that's, but, uh, you know, they, they did some things different, right? And that mm-hmm. made them profitable finally. So think of the small startups, right? That all these VCs have invested in that aren't profitable yet. Some of them don't even have any income yet. And every, their vendors, their employees, their landlords, their equipment financing, their, you know, their services, yeah. everything is just going to be, you know, it, it, and a lot of people are going to be out of jobs, right? Um, but then also yeah, and, and, think, think of the VC that's, you know, taking his money, put it in, and he's got some stock now. And if that company's in dire straits, that stock is pretty much going to be worthless, right? So as a VC, do you take more of your money and recapitalize that company and keep it going, you know, so you don't lose what you've already already lost or – you know how how do you go from there, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, you well, know, I mean, there, that, there's a lot. A lot of people are going to be affected in a lot of different ways, is what I'm saying, right? Well, and that's that's why I'm calling it the SVB tsunami, right? So, so you see this huge wave of all this stuff coming in, and then when the wave goes out and everything calms down, you actually get to see the level of destruction that has happened, and and you're gonna have people that have the means to rebuild. You're going to find the people who don't have the means to rebuild. You're going to find bodies everywhere. Yeah. And, and so it it really comes into, and this is, this is the scary part is those who were on a path to generating revenue, who had a clear path to generating revenue, I believe that you're going to see people get recapitalized into that. If they believe that there's a way to revenue, they're going to recapitalize. If it was just a hunch, probably not going to get it. Yeah. Well, right? they say it, it, it's, it's one out of a hundred is the unicorn, right? That actually makes it right. So, you know, how much is this going to affect, you know, with the VCs losing, the VCs are really the one that lost, right? Uh, the the eh. money that they gave these guys, those guys lost too, right? But the VC ultimately is at the top and, you know, handed over to stack, right? So he's the one that really lost money or she. And so how much is this going to affect investment in other companies moving forward. I know a lot of them are, you know, a, a big and, and, and have yeah. done a lot, but a lot of them were also involved in, you know, uh, uh, FTX, uh, you know, Celsius, Voyager, you know, Genesis, uh, Silvergate. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been like uh, fintech, because mostly if you talk about tech and, and Silicon Valley Bank, you're mostly talking about fintech because that's what kind of becomes the unicorns. Not much well, else becomes kind unicorns, of. Kind of. you know. Yeah. It's, uh, but, so uh, how much is looking, this going to affect our industry, right, generally as, as a whole, right? Uh, yeah. So so I, the way I'm, I'm looking at it, is, and this is just my perspective, um, it, I – I think you're going to continue to see investment go into the industry um, because all this is done, just like the FTX collapse, just like a couple other things, people are going, okay, this just happened. What can we build? What can we create? What can we combine to keep this from happening again? And so you're going to see 
a shift. And, and this is something we've already started to see, uh, at least I've already started to see by looking at the, the technologies and everything in the, in the industry, is you're seeing a shift from how do I deliver really cool things to customers to how do I deliver tools to financial institutions to mitigate risk? How do I deliver tools to these fintechs to mitigate their risk and the bank's risk of this? Because as much as we we hate to think this right now and, and probably for the foreseeable future, um, the center of gravity for everything we're talking about is a financial institution. Yeah. So if we're not helping them manage risk, if we're not helping them manage all these different things and we don't have things in place to, to really mitigate this stuff, that's where we're going to have issues. But I think that's where the VC stuff's going to go into and and just just to be clear, I mean, one of one of the things that I read, and I, I haven't had a chance to dive really really deep into it, but there was uh, there was some legislation that got rolled back a few years ago, I think like five, four or five years ago, uh, that would have actually protected all of this from happening. Um, so I, I haven't gotten deep into it yet, but I know there's some legislation around how to manage liquidity, how to manage what your assets, um, all of that fun stuff. And, you know, I, I've had the benefit of, of being spending time with the former chief risk officer of West America Bank, who was also at BMO Harris and a handful of other very large financial institutions, and just kind of talking about what happened. And, you know, his, his perspective was, was like, this, this is a failure of some of the basics of, yeah. of maybe reaching a little bit too far. Um, uh, being when, when you look at it from the they, risk they, they, management they were unbalanced, perspective. Yeah. Yeah. They were unbalanced. Right. So, but it wouldn't have been a problem. Earlier, you were talking earlier about. Uh, from a consumer standpoint, what if every dollar that you paid into the federal government, you know, was on a blockchain and you could see where every single penny mm -hmm. of your money went? So now yeah. let's shift the perspective of this. What if the federal government was able to watch every penny that came into a bank and was able to see where it went? Not the consumer, but now the feds, the regulators I'm speaking of specifically, right? And they could now watch that bank and really see that that bank is being managed well, right? It's balanced. It's, you know, it's not too heavy on one side. You know, it's not too heavy on the startup side. It's not too heavy. It doesn't have too much junk bonds, right? It, it, it's got good investments and it's got um, a variety of uh, depositors. So, so this is this is where the regulators come into play, right? So the regulators come in and audit the banks on a regular basis to make sure that that exactly. Oh, they got a fleet of they, they got a fleet of people that go out and do that stuff right. all the time. So, yes. so, so they're doing this on a regular basis. Now, if if you were to to bring in a technology like blockchain, and you were allowed to just pull that information, I, I think it'd be more real time. But it still doesn't solve the problem that we have. The, no. the, because do you because think, do you, let me ask you this, and, and I've been thinking about this for a while. Back when money was backed by the gold standard here in the good old USA, which we don't have anymore, we had a Fort Knox that held all the gold that 
standardize the money, right? Mm-hmm. Does cash need to just stay in a place as cash when it's deposited? I know not so much money is deposited as cash anymore, right? But Mm -hmm. because cash is so digital now, right, could we even do that to begin with, right? And does something like that need to happen? So when a bank says, you know, yeah, we got your cash, they physically have your cash and they're not out using it. But I know that's how banks make money, right, is, you know, uh, investing it and, you know, uh, you know, Slight risk, right? Not not much risk, slight risk, you know. But uh, it just seems like the technology could be used from the the regulators to the banks, also not just from the consumers to the banks, right? So, so the idea of having access, liquidity of all the cash that's ever been deposited into your financial institution. The only way to do that ever is to have a state-sponsored financial institution. If if it is owned by the government, that's the only way you'll ever do that. Yeah. And honestly, I can't ever see us getting and, and if we do get to it, I'm scared. But having a a state-sponsored bank, we um, would become China. We, we essentially we're China then. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But but what we we do come into play here is the problem that we have here is is too many people being worried that their money is not safe at the exact same time yeah and part of the conversation you and I've had over the over the the months and years is getting people comfortable and feeling safe about where their money is located is is having that transparency. Yeah. And and again, I think if we could provide the level of transparency to the companies or individuals that have deposited the money in there so they can see where it's at, then I think they're going to be more comfortable. And And so this is all about trust which has been lost yeah and being able to back it up and but then you think like you and i have worked at companies right our whole lives and i've worked at a lot of companies where the accountants are regularly poo-pooed by the ceo or the leader you know the president whoever right you know they're Mm -hmm. like well we really shouldn't do this right now because x y and z right and the guy's like damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead, right? And and we're just going to go out, you know, this is my vision and we're going to go out and kill it and we're going to ignore your advice and, you know, we're just going to stampede oh, yeah. forward, right? Uh, you've seen it, I've seen it. It's happened more times than I can imagine, right? Uh, so even having the transparency, it still comes down to the behavior, right? And, and uh but the transparency will change the behavior. And that's kind of where I'm getting at is that by having a level of transparency where anybody and everybody can see it. And it's not just the regulators that are seeing it. And yeah, you could go dig through a bunch of stuff and blah, blah, blah. But if you could programmatically do it and you as your VCs and private equity firms and family offices, there's a reason why they hire quants. It's so they can yeah. do quantitative analysis on all of this information 
with what they're given. But if you make it truly transparent and you give them all the data, they're going to be able to figure it out. They're smart people. They're very smart people. And, and so that's kind of where I get at with a lot of this stuff is that we've obfuscated so much of the data and of the information and only given up what we had to in order to get to where we wanted to be that we're getting into the next level of data transparency. And I mean, give you an idea, the stable coin peg, and this is one of the articles and one of the things we were talking about with Circle, Circle's stablecoin wasn't so stable over the last few days because of their ties to SVB. Yeah. And, but they've already recovered. They've already gotten back. So it's back stable again. Well, the run, and, the run is over now, right? So uh, the run on them is also over. Do you, let me ask you a question. Um, do you think the run occurred or was heightened exponentially by all the recent collapses of FTX, uh, Silvergate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Do you think that caused more panic than it would have caused six months ago? Totally. And and that's that's what I was getting at earlier when, when I was talking about timing and messaging, right? So the timing of it was horrible. I mean, we just had FTX. And and everybody's starting to get over that. And then Silvergate, the same week, like the week before, they said, we're in trouble. Right? Yeah. Then then I, I think it was last week. Yeah, last week, Silvergate says, I'm in trouble. And we're trying to figure this out. Yeah. And then... The, then they ask on, on Thursday, they ask FDIC, hey, help us restructure this so that we don't we don't go under. Although they pretty much already gone under by that point. And on the same day, within hours of that, that's when that's when SVB decides to make do the sell off, make the announcement, say everything is fine. I mean, it just the timing is horrible. If and they not, had to, done, men- if not to mention that they handed out the bonuses that they to all their uh, I don't know is eight thousand employees something like that they handed out their annual bonuses to all their employees the day before the FDIC took uh, took control of of uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank anywhere from uh, twelve hundred to uh, one hundred and forty thousand dollar bonuses uh, for their employees based on the bank's performance for the year. <laughs> You know, so uh, that's that's not a good look, right? Uh, yeah, for I mean, the bank. I, I mean, it, it's it's an annual thing, and nobody can really say anything about it. And it just happened the fall, right? It's it's an annual thing, and it's scheduled, and da 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 yeah. da. But it happened the day before the FDIC took control of the company, so right? In, in I'm almost, sure the employees are all like, "Thank God, you know, that I got my bonus." But you know, well, I mean, in Q, so the Q four like annual and Q four bonuses almost always fall at the same time, right? Yeah, uh, I, I've been in the industry long enough that they almost always fall um, on on the first Friday of March. Um, yeah. they almost always fall then, right? And and so this has already been sitting in the payroll for forever. And 
realistically, they probably thought that they were going to be fine. They yeah. probably thought that they were going to be able to pull this off. And, you know, I, I, the bank and the VCs and the companies, yes, I, I feel for them and, yeah. and everything. The, the, the CEO, uh, what's his name? Beecher, uh, Gary Beecher. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's with a heavy heart, right? And they, they started this whole thing over a, in, a, in a poker game. The, the Silicon Valley Bank, you know, started mm-hmm. uh, uh, at, a, at a poker game, you know, a back of a napkin kind of a thing, right? You know? Oh, yeah. But, so but, it, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, uh, I was just your... going to say, like, no, 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 no. So, so I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it. It's like these VCs, they're going to be fine. Um, but the employees of Silicon Valley Bank and the employees of these tech companies that had billions of dollars sitting in there, whether it be Roku, whether it be companies like that, that, that have a bunch of money in there, Circle, you name it, right? And, and, let's and think the, of the little guys, too. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, there's a few big ones, but there's a lot of little ones. And that actually hurts the ecosystem more than more. a few big ones, right? Uh, because yeah. it's that now all those employees and all their customers, right, are now also afraid of bank collapse, right? Yep. Because it's going to affect them too, right? It, it's it's not just affecting those companies. It's affecting, you know, uh, you know, down the line, down the line. And so how does the federal government or the the federal reserve or you know other people that are involved in banking how do they turn this sentiment around because there needs to be some damage control right just yeah. just uh, fishing these guys out of the water and and making them whole again which i don't think is really going to happen uh how do they change that public sentiment of, you know, we don't trust the banks. Banks aren't your friends, like Alex Mashinsky said, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, well, so I, I think a lot of it's going to come into play over the over the next course of the next few weeks when the FDIC uh, starts to dole out the $175 billion in customer deposits that fall under the, that fall under that control, right? So I, I think you're going to start to see that. But let's not forget that the quantitative quantitative easing and the raising of the interest rates and all of these things, the interest rate change is what caused this to happen. Oh yeah, the, I the, mean, we, the we, bonds we that they were making two percent on uh, wasn't enough when they went to sell it. It didn't have the same value that you know they bought it at, and especially when you're trying to sell it quickly, right? If you can wait to sell things, you can usually get a fair price, right? But if right. With something like this, they're trying to like, hey, we need to turn these things over so we got cash so we can give to our customers, and so, that's where you lose, right? So, so part of part of me, part of me says, well, the government caused it by the Fed caused it by raising the rates. Maybe they should fix it. Maybe they should fix it. And I mean, this is this is me being altruistic, right? It's like you caused the problem, fix it. And, and, you know, everybody's worried about interest rates uh, continue to go up. Inflation 
is continuing to go. The, the, it's like we're using all these old school methods to try and stop something that no longer works. So let's, why, why do we keep doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result? Well, here's the thing. Prices keep going up. So companies are now bringing in more money because prices are going up. So companies can afford to start to paying, go up. Companies can start afford to can now afford to pay employees now more wages because they have more money coming in because prices are going up, right? But and a they lot have of companies, to pay more money for the interest rates on the loans that they took in order to get the stuff. And so now <laughs> your cost of, of money just went up. So yeah. you have to, in order to keep in business, you have to spend more on, on all of the stuff. Yeah. And so the last person to get any more money is going to be the employee because the business is trying to maintain at least the revenue that they were generating before. So they can keep paying the people what they were paying them before, but the cost of the dollar is now higher because the interest rates are higher. So if they have to buy anything with, with money or capital that is on a loan, then now it's, it's like, it's this perpetual cycle. Yeah. It's a perpetual cycle. So six months ago, let's call it a year. If you want to really go out there, yeah. we had a zero interest rate and essentially money was free and everybody could get it as much money as they wanted uh, free of sub, charge. Pretty it was, much. It was some sub, sub 1%. Yeah. So they've added points, they've added points, they've added points. Where is it now? What is the actual uh, Fed interest rate now? What 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 is it? Do you know? So, uh, last is it 7%? Time looked, last time I looked, it was around 7%. That's a big jump in less than, I'm going to say in less than a year. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess it to be about uh, eight or 10 months uh, since they really started, you know, uh, let's call it aggressively, uh, you know, raising interest rates. And they even said last week that uh, they had thought that a quarter point uh, raise was going to do it. And they didn't think that the quarter point was really accomplishing that. And they were going to take it up to uh, another three quarter point was was going to drop instead of a quarter point, you know. Well, and that's that is why um, I <laughs> why I look at it. And I'm like, this, this isn't working. It isn't working, folks. What you're doing is not working. Quit making it worse. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find it right now. So just please. I would, I would say it's right around seven. I heard right around seven recently, but I, I don't know if they've levied that three quarter point that they said they were going to levy the other day. It was just a couple of days ago that I saw that article. Um, it, 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 well, I, I can say this, it's going to be all the talk next week at FinTech Meetup over in Las Vegas. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I almost want to go and see if I can find a, uh, a Silicon Valley Bank t-shirt to wear around to uh, start conversations. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking here. I'm just, I'm looking three days ago, the Fed raised. I'm just, I'm trying to find... Yeah, what's the sum total, right? So it's. I would looking... say it's been at least six raises, uh, if not seven raises that they've done over the course of the past six months. Maybe eight. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 
I, I don't have it in front of me, and uh, to to go find it is, uh, you know, an exercise in futility sometimes because all you're going to get is ads from banks uh, pushing interest rates at you, you know. Uh, That's what I'm getting, but I think I found <laughs> wade through all a that couple it, things. Yeah, uh, it yeah. it it's it's not the free money that they're used to, but in my mind, uh, like you said, the 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 VCs VCs aren't investing capital they can't afford to lose, right? Uh, in most cases, unless they're you know a, a, a small investor, right? Um, they're you know, they're throwing money at 100 companies knowing that one of them's going to, you know, come out uh, smelling like a rose, right? So they throw away a lot of money and know that they're throwing it away when they're throwing it away. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think that you're going to see the level of investment that we have been seeing even, you know, post FTX, uh, you know, uh, and definitely not the level that we saw uh, the last couple of years with the, you know, uh, money being almost free, right? That That's, uh, you know, uh, it was, the stock market was wild. The investments were wild. The valuations were insane. You know, uh, you know, they were writing checks to everybody and their brother, right? So, so it's going to be yeah. crazy. All right, so the Fed discount rate right now is 4.75%. A year ago, it was 0.25%. The current prime rate, which is what everybody bases um, interest rates on loans and things of that nature, is at four, uh, sorry, is at 7.75%. And a year ago, it was at 3.25%. That's a that's a hefty a doubling. Increase. That's a doubling on the on yeah. the the loan on the, of money, right? Uh, well, I mean, it's even more if you look at the Fed discount rate, right? Yeah. So you can see you can see that the prime rate is not at, ex- increasing at the rate that the Fed's increasing because everybody understands that if they increase that fast, it's just going to grind everything to a halt. Like, yeah, everything will just stop. Yeah, but oh my goodness! Well, hey, so I'm going to close this out by saying this is not financial advice. We are not <laughs> financial advisors. This is purely for educational, informational purposes. Please do your own research to determine what you see as factual, what you see as important to you, and make your own decisions. So, are you reading that off of something? <laughs> I'm actually not, but I've said it so much. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it it's a good it's a good thing to say. Yes, we are we are not. Uh, I neither not I or Ted is offering financial advice on any of your money, your NFTs, your tokens, your stocks, yeah. your bonds, your treasury bills, your junk bonds, whatever you're buying. We're not giving financial advice on it. Yeah. Uh, my advice: all my money's tied up in cash. <laughs> that, well, that, and that, I, I will, <laughs> and I'll say it this way. Um, we are here to provide our opinion and our perspective only. And you should take and listen to professional advice around how to manage your money and what to invest in and when to invest in it and how to manage it uh, and make that yours, make it your decision and do the research. So 
Bruce, ne- ne- never, uh, never invest your money off of uh, free advice that someone gave you. <laughs> For reals. Uh, done that a couple times. And uh, yeah, I still don't have that money. Uh, but hey, so Bruce, <laughs> you, you'd mentioned the fact that the FinTech meetup is coming up next week, the 19th through the 22nd in Las Vegas, Nevada, at the beautiful and wonderful Aria Hotel and Casino. Um, I will definitely be there and talking to a number of folks and getting scheduled up some for some one-on-one interviews. And Bruce, I think you might be joining me as well there, um, doing about a lot of the same stuff, but you want to fill us in on some of the other projects that you're working on. Okay. So, uh, uh, let's start at the top, uh, I've been doing the bullet point bulletins for a number of months now, and I wanted to expand beyond that if you're a first-time listener. And I wanted to get back into interviewing uh, people from the industry and doing in-depth interviews. So I started hashtag pay interviews. I uh, resuscitated the pay brand from 2019 and uh, started pay interviews, and now – uh, that's uh, uh, manifested into a website, which I just launched at 11 o'clock last night. Uh, it's just a rudimentary form factor. It, it, it's nothing's final there, and it's always going to be a working document. There's always going to be new stuff added. But uh, payinterviews.com, uh, P-A-Y-I-N-T-E-R-V-I-E-W-S.com, um, and what we're going to have up there is the bullet point bulletins, uh, uh, video vignettes, uh, the two or three minute, uh, uh, short news features that we're doing. We're going to have the more in-depth pay interviews where I'm interviewing luminaries from web three, fintech, blockchain, AI, cryptocurrency, et cetera, uh, banks, et cetera. Uh, and then also a, uh, a group of, pay deep dive uh, research and reports where I'm diving a little deeper on uh, a single uh, selected uh, topic like generative AI or uh, Web3 or blockchain or or something similar. Uh, So uh, I'm currently looking for uh, a sponsor that's going to help me uh, uh, cover the costs of, of going to FinTech Meetup. Uh, what I have uh, to offer is uh, your commercials will be in the videos. Uh, you'll you'll essentially be a sponsor of, of all the videos that I produce. And, and uh, the videos that I'm going to produce and the videos that Ted is going to produce will both be played on both channels. So mm-hmm. you're going to see uh, Ted's interviews from FinTech Confidential on my YouTube channel and vice versa, right? The interviews I do will be on FinTech Confidential. And so uh, everyone will get more visibility, more, ava- uh, you know, availability and, and, and gain a lot from it. So if you're, you know, uh, launching a new product, if you're releasing a new book, if you're uh, reinventing your corporation and, and uh, you know, like you should every two years and, and, and putting out something new, uh, if you just want to establish, start establishing thought leadership, this is a great way to do this. Uh, we're always looking for uh, uh, companies that have quality products and services that will benefit our our uh, our audience and you know their well qualified audience and you know it is a great opportunity uh p 
pay meetup or I'm sorry, fintech meetup. <laughs> I'm already naming uh, my company. Uh, uh, fintech meetup is, um, Anil Argawal, uh, that started, uh, uh, TX via back in the day. And then he started, uh, money 2020 and then shop talk behind that. And now it's fintech meetup. So this is somebody who's very successful in those channels. This is a big deal. This is not a little fintech meetup, right? This is not 10 people meeting together. The, the, uh, I, I believe Over there's 3,000 people attending, right? That are and, registered to attend. And, uh, and and going through and, and, and setting up meetings with all the different people. I've already registered. So all the different uh, uh, companies that are there and looking through all the different companies, there's startups, there's the major banks, there's all the processors, there's fintechs, there's uh, Web3, there, there's there's everything there. And, you know, uh, it's it's going to be a big event. And uh, the Aria is a really great place. Uh, March is a really good time to be in Las Vegas. Uh, this is probably uh, they're saying this is the big quarter one event, uh, uh, you know, for the year. Right. Uh, if you're in the financial services space. So uh, if you're going out to the show, I look forward to meeting you there. Uh, uh, please hit me up. Uh, Bruce at payinterviews.com. You can reach me. Uh, also, you can find me on uh, YouTube at uh, at Bruce Burke. That's going to be changed over to pay interviews. I'll, uh, I'll uh, let you know when that's happening. And uh, also uh, on any of the other socials, I'm Bruce Kuberk. So, uh, and I'm starting to establish pay uh, uh, channels, uh, you know, uh, uh, profiles for all those uh, different uh, social networks. So uh, it, it's, it's a lot to build a, a new brand or, or uh, rebuild a brand. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one guy going at it tooth and nail. Uh, I, I could use a little support and a little help to, to move things along. And uh, uh, anybody who's interested, please reach out. And, uh, Ted, what are you doing? I know you're going to FinTech Confidential, but you're doing something else this, this coming week. Where are you going? Yeah, this week, uh, believe it or not, this week I'm actually doing a little bit of a, a pre- visit to las vegas so i'm going to las vegas and going to be meeting with a handful of folks while i'm up there ahead of the show but then uh going to be returning turning back up on the 19th so we'll, we'll be returned back up the 19th for fintech meetup uh be there with fintech confidential and in a handful of other different things but it, it's going to be really cool we've got all that going on releasing a bunch of additional episodes uh <laughs> been a little bit difficult to get a lot of these episodes done. I've been spending a lot of time um, on all these bank things that have been going on. So, uh, you know, last week was in New York and was in Chicago. Uh, so it, it's just it's lots, lots of busy travel and, and really just diving in and learning from all these different folks. So Really cool stuff. If you want to learn about what we're doing, we've got the Telegram channel for Web3 with FTC or FinTech Confidential uh, that you can go ahead and sign up for. And you get news sent to you just about every hour on the hour with with great information. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn at FinTech Confidential. And of course, Twitter makes it always so fun for us. It's at FTConfidential.com. If you want to get a little bit of insight into who Ted Huff really is, check me out everywhere at T-E-D-D-H-U-F-F. If you just do a fun little Google search, you will be able to find me just about anywhere. So we're wrapping up for this week, but next week we'll have even more information. And Bruce, 
let's uh let's play us out man yeah let's uh let's hope for some uh some more uplifting news this next week and and uh <laughs> you know uh I, I i try and keep it on the positive tip but this week uh, it was just overwhelming uh but There's so much at the same on. time still very interesting but uh uh Thank, thanks again, uh, Ted, for uh, uh, participating in this on the weekly basis. Uh, look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. Uh, I'm setting my intention and intention on the fact that a sponsor is going to uh, 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 cover my uh, cost to getting out there and, and uh, help help uh, launch pay in a bigger way. It's, it's going to help, uh, even though I'm going out as a, uh, you know, as FinTech Confidential, give me the opportunity to kind of uh spread the word about hashtag pay and 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 get that rolling so uh there's a lot going here and we really appreciate you guys uh like follow subscribe and share and uh we'll see you next week right back here at bullet point bulletins thanks again bruce <laughs>